Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I'm feeling like pretty good right now, bumping up against the end of our, of our financial year for the company. And it's been cool. I started the company five years ago. And when I did it, I was just like, oh crap, like, you know, like I, I got to start, I got to start my own thing now. I'd been working in a company where I just thought the boss was the worst, the worst dude. I had always kind of dreamed of starting my own thing. I talked a big game about starting my own thing. Like I thought I knew it all. And suddenly I was in a position where I had to do it. And I did it. I took a leap and it was hard and it's been hard, but it's also been awesome. You know, like I've, I've learned so much about growing a business. I've learned so much about myself. And one of the things that's cool is like the business has been growing and it's been growing in a way that's been really cool. We're not like setting outrageous goals. We're doing it really naturally. Everything is like, I hate to use this word, but organic. It's been awesome. Along the way, I've had to really like reflect about like, when I started it, what I thought I knew versus what I knew now. So that every time we go through the next iteration of the business, it gets better and it gets stronger. Because most of all, what I want this business to be is a good place to work. Being a good place to work means that for me, at least as a leader, that I'm like really tapped into what matters to me and what's like ethical to me and what, and what I think is like the right thing to do by people. Because doing the right thing by people is actually doing the right thing by like who I am as a person and kind of like what my essence is. It's not always easy though, because like, you know, like it's your business and there's like money involved and there's, you know, ego involved and there's fear involved and all of those things. But that push, that, that desire to keep getting better and better and really create a business that like you believe in, but also does the right things in the world and the right things by people. It's such a wonderful thing to, to strive for and hopefully to achieve day by day by day. In that regard, the person that we're speaking to today is someone that I believe 100% represents that. Today we're speaking with Shira Bluestein. Shira is someone that I've known since I was very, very young. I, I think I was in my early 20s, my very early 20s when we first met in Calgary. So Shira is the founder and general manager of the Acorn and the Arbor. Shira came to plant-based dining from her years as a punk and indie musician touring all across Europe and North America. And she was always in search of meat-free options became her mission to create delicious and creative vegetable forward dining experiences unlike anything she'd encountered in her travels where the uniqueness of the ingredients were openly explored and celebrated with meaningful connections established through local farms foragers and wineries since opening in 2012 the acorn has picked up national awards for excellence has been featured in the new york times and bon appetit and was named the number one vegan friendly restaurant in the world by Big Seven Travel. I am super psyched to have Shira on here because it's, again, it's just someone that I've known forever and I'm so inspired by what she's doing and doing it in such a like cool ethical way. And of course, you know, the fact that she comes from the punk scene, I, it's such a, it's been such a wonderful journey to, to see someone undertake in such a cool and ethical way. So before we get to the episodes, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, like I mentioned in the intro, 
the guest that we've got today is someone that I've known for many years, going back to when we were very young uh, in Calgary, and someone that I have just been consistently inspired by. You know, like the idea of like starting your own business is daunting enough, but starting a restaurant when in reality, especially at that time in Vancouver, there weren't a lot of really great vegetarian or vegan options. Starting that, but actually starting one of the best, if not the best restaurants that Vancouver's ever had for vegetarians and vegans. So it's a huge honor to have uh, someone that, you know, I really, really respect and really feel inspired by Ashira, who is the Arbor and is a co-author of the new cookbook, Vegetables Reimagined. Shira, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, good to or see you talk too. To you. <laughs> well, both. I mean, we're yeah, doing right. we're doing both. It's wild. <laughs> and also, the the other piece I want to mention, I didn't throw into that into that intro, is also like a really established and and put out been involved in a lot of bands and a lot of music. So we'll get involved in all of that to start. People come to this podcast from all sorts of different walks of life. Um, some people are business people, some are entrepreneurs, some work in the corporate world, some are activists, artists, you know people who are just interested in, in uh, different perspectives, but we all, they all come to the show for one reason and it's to hear about leadership. So if you think about leadership as kind of a broad topic, how does that apply to you in both your personal and your professional life? I think for me, leadership means a few different things. One, um, it's really important. I learned from a mentor a long time ago that leading, uh, with empathy is, um, really important and trying to best understand all the people that you're working with and from their standpoint and where they're coming from is, is huge. Having flexibility as a leader, I think is really important. You can dig your heels in from day one. And especially in the restaurant industry, if your guests aren't picking up what you're putting down and you're not able to flexibly change that, then you might as well close early. Um, and then the third thing for me is, is being collaborative and I'm learning these every day and I'm growing into these things, but th- those are kind of the three key points for me that I, I work on. So Shira, how has your understanding of leadership changed in the past year? Well, or let's say pre COVID to COVID times <laughs> as, as a restaurant. And I mean, I don't know, I'm sure we've all watched the news. We've all lived through this together, but like restaurant industry, tourism, I think has been the hardest hit industry. It has not bounced back. And in the last almost two years, I mean, restaurants have been asked to alter, modify, change the businesses that they all set out, that we all set out to, to open. And some of which have been running for 20 years, you know, a certain way. And suddenly we're now, you know, pushed into changing and modifying our rooms, uh, changing our complete service style, having like being police at the door. Like it's, it's the, that what has been put on us is exceptionally challenging. And I think the one thing that I came out of, like right before the pandemic, you could have asked me what the sales would be like on a March 22nd, you know, and I would be able to tell you from, eight years of experience and being open, like it's going to be like this. The weather's going to help impact it this way. Oh, there's hockey on. Okay. Well that might have an impact this way. You know, like you could really predict how you would do all across the board every day. And what has happened in the post COVID world or sort of this ongoing COVID scenario is that like every day is new. We have no idea what to expect. I, the future is completely uncertain. I'm hopeful, but you know, we just don't know what, 
what the face of dining is going to feel like once we're sort of out of this and through this because everybody's sort of learning it together and so collaborating right now is like absolutely key as a team because there are no rules anymore like we don't I can't tell you what you know everything's going to look like and I think as a, as a team we're all just trying to navigate these waters together yeah uh, Monica and I ate at Acorn when was that Monica was that like November I think it was last November yeah and, oh, yeah. Um, and it was like smooth, like totally, totally smooth as if you guys had been running it that way for forever. It was really smooth, really easy. It didn't feel at all like it didn't feel like anything was challenging or difficult. And I think from like a experience point of view, feeling like the people who are doing it are totally they got it and it's smooth. It was really like comforting. I think it was the first maybe was it the first time that we'd gone out to eat since the pandemic or was it, it like was, the second? It was our first, I think it was our first restaurant that we went to. Yeah. And yet it felt totally normal aside from wearing a mask. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Right. I, everybody has such a different level of comfort and we're just like trying to read all of our guests and be, you know, a safe, pick the safest point to, to start from and then sort of work backwards from there. And, you know, some guests don't want you to lean for lean over a table at all, you know, and like mm-hmm. don't come anywhere near them. And some people are just like, you know, leaning right in. And so you just, it's, there's a whole other factor to, to service now. So it's great that you were there and you didn't feel, you know, all of those other conditions. Yeah, it was, it was totally smooth. Let's go right back to the beginning though. So as I mentioned, and I mentioned in the intro as well, you and I have known each other since we were basically kids and yeah. how we know each other is through punk and hardcore. And really I met you. I remember clearly meeting you at the DeSober house, which was a punk house in Vancouver, <laughs> yeah. right around the corner from the blue house. And I only knew you from playing in punk bands and, and seeing you playing in punk bands and knowing that you were out like touring and doing all that stuff. And I believe it was around 2010 or 2009, 2010, when I first heard that you were starting a restaurant or had started a restaurant and I was totally blown away. So did you have any history in the restaurant industry before like becoming interested in doing it? No, I didn't. I mean, I, I thought about this a lot, like why and how it all came to be with touring in a band and being vegetarian and vegan for a little while was when you're, well, I mean, in the nineties, when you're touring across America and a van sleeping on punk floors you know you're just eating whatever's in front of you and thankfully sometimes we'd run into like a food not bombs who'd be serving up chili or we'd get you know some punk house that they'd make whatever was there it was usually like chilies and stews um or like gosh i think like tater tots and like gross taco bell like i don't know it was horrible but um as we got as i got a little you know you get comfortable in these environments. I mean, in punk, it was like punk houses. So that's a fully different situation. But I mean, I started playing in bands that started to play in more venues and then bars and clubs and, you know, you, your venue situations change and we weren't sleeping in punk houses anymore. We were starting to stay in hotels and we started to like fly to places and we, you know, did a double decker bus tour in Europe and we had like a significant upgrade in our touring style. So you just, you start getting so comfortable in this like venue environment and club. I don't know. All of my eating in those environments were, were like at restaurants. You just, I just felt very comfortable in that sort of 
setting, I think. And then also I would always come home. This was already, I'd moved to Vancouver as like this frustrated diner and I couldn't, I would try things out in the world and then come home and be like, really, really where, like, there's none of this, you know, here, like, how is this possible? And it just, it aggravated me. And I really ultimately just set a set out to open the restaurant that I wanted to eat at. And that was where it came from. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> what was it like starting Acorn, the vegetarian and vegan restaurants weren't as popular in Vancouver as they are now? I think we were really fortunate when we opened, it was 2012, um, mm-hmm. that there was a need. I wasn't the only one who felt this way. You know, when I was writing a business plan to open the restaurant and, um, you know, was building my case, I had lots of materials in magazines and articles that had been written about where, you know, where is this restaurant? Why does this restaurant not exist? So there was, there. I was definitely not the only one. And we were lucky that we, we actually, there was just such an open, open space for us to exist that people came. And I think, I don't think we started the vegetarian food trend. I mean, the NOM, you know, it's like the birthplace of, of, uh, my gosh, Greenpeace. Is that what it is? Something like that. You might have to fact check that, but 1964, like we're definitely not the birthplace of that. But, um, I think we just offered something that was just different. You did. Let's hit on it though, because you, um, Acorn and Banditas kind of, I think hand in hand really like launched modern vegetarian vegan dining, uh, in the city. And like, just to lay the landscape for everyone listening, Vancouver is like this like super healthy city, tons of vegetarians, tons of vegans, like lots of active lifestyles. There had been this kind of legendary vegetarian restaurant that still is there now, the Nom, that had been there since the 60s when when the uh, 4th Street was known as Rainbow Road. When I moved to Vancouver in 1997, it was the worst vegetarian. I could yeah. not believe like the only place to really go was the Nom, which is great. It's fantastic. It's on the other side of the city. It was like stunning. You go to all of the, these other places like New York, San Francisco, like anywhere in California. And in fact, a, a lot of places had really great vegetarian dining, but Vancouver had almost nothing. And the things that they did have would be short lived or like hard to find or actually like quite unhealthy. Banditas starts this thing in East Van, which is like, how could we have not had that in East Van or, or something that was really good in East Van? And like everyone flocks there. Everyone's super psyched. Again, really still successful restaurant. Everyone's amped on. Acorn, though, was super cool. It's like you did it. You did it on Main Street, but also you took like more of like a high end approach, which I thought at the time was like, oh, that's really daring. So tell us about that, because it's like. You just kind of did it. Like you didn't wait for permission. You didn't like kind of look, look, look from like a message from the sky. You're just like, oh no, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm going to actually do an upscale version of it. So what was the thinking behind that? Yeah. And I mean, kudos. I love your mention of banditas. Love Mm. those uh, folks very much. Mm. And we, you know, don't forget about the foundation. I don't know if you remember that place. I got, I got, I I remember foundation. I got some thoughts on that, but okay. Uh, but I mean, yeah, for sure. They they were all kind of of that same sort of strain. And Banditas was a, and continues to be awesome. And uh, for for Acorn, it was uh, okay. Main Street one. I lived on Main Street from two thousand seven. So I I mean was always 
loved, I had always loved the idea of opening a restaurant on our, where I'm close to where I lived. I mean, mm-hmm. commuting to work is a challenge at the best of times, but when you run a restaurant, you're often being called in to fix a broken piece of equipment that needs like fixing stat or yesterday, you know? So you're just, you have to be on call all the time. The upscale part was really, that was the factor. And I mean, I wasn't eating a ton of upscale out in the world, but it was just that like you would go, I mean, the NOM is fantastic. And I mean, it has a soft, I have a soft spot in my heart for it, but like, totally. let's talk about the ambiance of the NOM. Like you're not going there for like top notch service and, um, you know, <laughs> atmosphere. You're going there for your dragon bowl or whatever it is that you want. But like other restaurants that were open had like no bar program and that's great for folks, but like. I really wanted to open a restaurant that was as good as the best restaurants in the city, but just didn't serve meat. So it couldn't compromise on all the things that like vegetarian diners got so used to being having to compromise every time they went out. You go to the best restaurant in the city, but you get like one item and that's your choice. And it's an afterthought. Well, and this is a thing that Monica and I joke about a lot. Like back then it was just like people would just take a salad and put it on bread and be like, here's your vegetarian sandwich. It's like, oh. Or they would like roast, you know, layers of vegetables and like stack them on a plate on like a bed of rice. And you're just like, what the F is this? This is just so boring. Totally. It's the best they could come up with. But this is what sticks out to me so much about Acorn. And at the time I was like, damn, because Main Street was had not become what it's become now. Like Main Street, uh, again, for people not living in Vancouver at the time, was kind of like a sort of a rundown part of town that now is like really quite a, a very popular area to live in. So location was interesting. Being a vegetarian restaurant was interesting. And the upscale piece, all of it just felt like totally like it felt like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take a huge leap and either it's either it's going to take or it's going to crash and burn one or the other. You took, you actually, you totally took the words out of my mouth. I think the point is that there's a, when, what through all of my research and all of the energy that I put to like developing the idea, there's just this one point where you just have to leap and mm-hmm. that we, I, I did it. I just had to jump and hope for the best and be like, you know what? <laughs> Well, I tried. If it doesn't work, I tried. And I'll probably have learned a lot from the experience either way. So I got lucky. Well, it's more, it's more than luck. Luck is certainly everything is like time, place, like situation, but like anyone could get an opportunity. Anyone could get the right time. Anyone get the right place. It's the grit and ability to do it. So let's right. not like undersell that. Cause it's, it's not just luck. It's all the other factors, right? Everything um, lining up. And Mm -hmm. taking the leap because a lot of people are presented opportunities and they run because they're just not ready. And I have this thing where I totally on a side, but I've always said like, I'll take any meeting, any meeting, like you try to bring an opportunity to me and I will sit down and I will think about it in all er earnest. Is that English? (laughs) I'll think about it in all honesty. I don't know. Uh, But um, whether or not, you know, there's so many times where we've almost opened like four or five other restaurants. We actually went to LA and looked at restaurant spaces in LA. We, you know, opened a pop-up in New York. Like we just take every meeting and, and a lot of things don't hash out, but the ones that do, you know, you just, they're the right ones. They feel like they're the right, it's the right time and place for everything, but got to explore all the options. I love that. 
Um, the acorn serves a lot of locally foraged and seasonal ingredients. Can you tell us a bit about creating these meaningful connections that allow the restaurant to do this? Absolutely. Um, so acorn opened in the beginning and it was just all about like upscale vegetarian food and uh, making sure there was like no fake meat on the menu at all. That was kind of like everywhere you went that was upscale, like even in New York, they always would use like tons of like processed meat products. And at the time it might've been like seitan, whatever, but like gluten, wheat gluten things. And so we were just like, none of that, let's just showcase a vegetable. And over the years, and now, I mean, we're coming up 10 years now almost. So we sort of developed a closer, well, we started developing relationships with farmers and that was really exciting. Those relationships grew deeper. Now we have farms that like actually contact us when they're starting to plant and they're like, what are you going to want this summer? Like, let's talk through ingredients. Like what kind of cool things do you want us to grow? So those relationships are incredibly valuable. The farm what is in season is actually what dictates our menu. Like we don't plan the menu. We sort of look at fresh sheets and decide through that what we're going to create. And our menu changes like so often. <laughs> Once we had sort of established some good farm relationships, we became a little more known as being a sort of farm to table. Don't want that like air quote, you know, restaurant, but um, more about like the local food movement. We uh, would start to have like foragers come to the door with ingredients that they had found out, uh, you know, where we live in the Pacific Northwest, where we have an abundance of really cool wild mushrooms that grow that can only be foraged. And then on top of that, there's a ton of like really cool greens and herbs and other like really cool and unique ingredients that we're, we've started bringing in. We feel really fortunate. We had uh, an indigenous forager come to our door um, and who wanted to collaborate with us and work really closely about sort of bringing ACORN uh, into that community more so and like really working with us on connecting over the food. When they, they had actually dined at the restaurant and said that uh, the ingredients we were serving was what they grew up on and they were so excited to see it being used in a really creative way and they wanted to sort of participate because they had access to a lot of the stuff and so so we're just sort of working on uh, deepening those relationships now as well. I think a lot of people don't know that like sometimes there's literally food you can eat that's growing out of the cracks of the sidewalk and I think that's really special. In all of that so much of it is focused on relationship and you know of course the restaurant industry is notoriously competitive. Anything that anyone starts, whether it's in the restaurant industry or any business that people start or even a band, you know, when you start getting successful and you start getting traction, your relationships can change from people being like, yeah, right on to suddenly being quite critical. And it's when there's real stakes on the line. So if you have anything you want to share about that, like how do you manage criticism? Like how do you manage criticism towards your businesses, towards yourself as a leader in the industry? Because anytime someone takes a step forward and kind of says like, yeah, I'm willing to do that and I'm going to create this experience or I'm going to create that space. As many hands you've got clapping, you've definitely got some people who've got some negative stuff to say. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's a good question. I, I am still learning how to not take criticism personally. And I think, uh, I just had a second baby through COVID, through the pandemic. And I, I mean, there's this thing that happens, you know, like all of those senses and ability to focus on 
running your business effectively get come in conflict with that sort of natural human instinct, which is just to like keep this baby alive. You know, like this is a biological shift that happens. And I know that I am still the same person inside, but um, all of those criticisms when you're sort of like hardwired to just like care for a baby (laughs) actually felt like much more overwhelming recently than in the past. I just have to keep teaching myself that a lot of the criticisms that are coming at me are not really about me. And as long as I know that I'm doing the best that I can in the choices that I make day to day, whether that's like how I work with my staff or the ingredients that we put or like our recycling program. Like I literally am just like, if, if I try my absolute best and I know that I'm doing the best that I can, I can't please everybody. That's a really funny one because I think as a leader, one of the things that I want to do is like get approval of like everybody I work with, especially in a restaurant. Like you're literally looking for approval when you put that food down on a table. Like that's, you're there to be like, Hey, here's this. I'm so excited for to share it with you. And not everybody's going to like that. You know, some people don't want to eat forged ingredients and some people want to eat like junk food and, and they're not going to pick up what we put down. And I just need to know that like, I just have to root down and be like, this is what we're doing and we're proud of it and we're working hard to make it better every day. And so like, if you're not going to pick up on that, that's okay. That's on you. Yeah. Do you mind if I share some thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. Um, this is like the great struggle of the innovator or the risk taker or the person who puts themselves out there. And like I said earlier, every time someone takes a leap, you know, there's so many people who are like, I want you to make it. And there are tons of people who are like, I don't want you to make it. Or if you make it, they're like, well, I want you to not make it the next time. And it's not because people are good or bad inherently or any of those things. I think it's that the willingness to put yourself in a position where you're standing out and doing something or creating something, it takes so much guts. It takes so much integrity. And, and also to be successful with it takes a huge amount of drive and energy. Anyone can criticize anyone can say anything uh, anything negative but very few people can really drive something very very few people and not just drive something but come up with the idea and then drive it so i I, one of the things i always think about critics is like yeah hell yeah like you're doing what you can do and i'm doing what i can do like you're hitting the limits of your of your ability and i'm i'm actually just getting into the groove of mine and i totally respect that people have to criticize because it's very often how people process life but like being someone who's out there doing the stuff that you're doing, it's tough and it takes a certain kind of person and you're that person. And it can be a little bit like lonely and hard at, at, at times, but you can't, you can't take on the burden of other people's thinking because they are kind of hitting their, their, the wall of their ability when you're just getting the groove of yours. And that's totally, that is what I'm working on. I think right mm-hmm. now. And then we're talking like nine and a half years, almost 10 years in. And I'm still like, Oh, I, they didn't, there was, you know, this one guest like didn't like what happened and I just stew and lament on it. And like, I'm, you know, working on that. Restaurants also are like notoriously wasteful. And Mm -hmm. when we opened a restaurant or when, when I opened Acorn, it was really trying to change a lot of the ways that restaurants are typically run. I mean, trying to reduce, like trying to work in a zero waste um, mentality where we're using the trim from a vegetable to put into a stock or a vinegar, you know? So like, we're really like, we take our soft plastics, we recycle them. Like we're doing um, 
I think just so much more to try and change the way that the industry is known to be like all the dark sides of the industry and also like you know it, restaurants are notoriously like sexist environments and toxic environments and like there's no way in hell I was gonna open a restaurant that was like that not coming from like the punk roots that I had you know and like all of the belief systems that I grew up with but you're ultimately also still working with people and they're coming up from the industry that they grew up in which it you know might have been modeled in a totally different way so you know it's all about trying to like navigate with our team too to have them sort of groove with the same philosophy that we have so I mean it's not like not it doesn't work for everybody and again some stuff it definitely did not work with and they there are people who just want something else out of it and that's cool but totally well speaking about kind of like finding those like middle grounds between people tell us about the uh, the great oyster debate <laughs> yeah right so uh yeah we uh our my chef uh over the summer had come up with this really cool idea he wanted to serve oysters on the menu and you know the idea was like to kind of put it on our patio with some champagne like oysters and champagne and just kind of like really play it up but the oysters are going to be made out of oyster mushrooms so they'd be like brined in a kelp uh brine so they've got this like great kind of like oceanic quality to them we're serving them with like a seasonal mignonette and a house fermented hot sauce like it had all of the stylings of of an oyster it actually was like quite spot on um and he wanted to serve them in uh well used and foraged oyster shells and i immediately was like oh i just don't know how the vegans are going to respond to this and you know uh i don't know i mean you've been vegan a long time mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so do you remember back in the day like there was like an oyster debate where mm -hmm. vegans had decided or were up it was unclear whether vegans thought oysters were vegan or not because they have no right. central nervous system so they like mm -hmm. technically don't feel pain which then sort of puts them in like the plants of the sea kind of mm -hmm. realm i don't know I think at this point, though, vegans have like decidedly thought that oysters are not vegan. Something shifted. I don't know. I haven't really met a whole lot of vegans that are like, oh, cool, oysters. Yeah, I can eat that. Um, so I set out to... Uh, it, it wasn't that I didn't think the vegans would like the idea. I just think it was the shell idea. I don't know why I was like, this is something about this. So even though you find shells on the beach, a lot of the shells I hand found on the beach and... What? I mean, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, let's put that aside. But I, so I made um, <laughs> ceramic shells because I take ceramic classes at night here and there. And I wanted to, you know, give, give the answer to the potential problem that I saw or foresaw. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was a lot of discussion online about these oysters. It created a lot of conversation and a lot of negativity but a lot of support and a lot of interesting like inward conversations in between people online about like whether the shell is a problem or not and i mean yeah it's been a, a fun to watch and but i mean at the end of the didn't, day you didn't use the shell though you used a, cer cer a ceramic shell right uh we had the ceramic shell for vegans and we mm. had other shells for non-vegans well for any, like i mean you know actually truthfully shellfish allergies that was something that we had to think about so and we have a lot of those at the restaurant so we just had to have the option for people 
Yo, um, that is that is wild. Like, first of all, let me just say, Brian Heck, if you're listening, my friend Brian uh, runs a vegan restaurant in Portland named Canteen, oh, and cool. he he is deep in the oyster debate about whether or not oysters <laughs> should be eaten. I am not going to be eating oysters myself, but if you served me a vegan oyster on a real shell, I'd be like, oh, that's like really neat. I think that's a neat idea. Um, I just think it's hilarious. I'm going to say hilarious how like intense people get about debating things like that. But I do like it's like, you know, like opening up the conversation. But were you getting heat about it? Oh, yeah. I mean, not so much in the restaurant. I think because we were able to offer the option to have something, you know, so it was never like was never a. There was nothing to debate. We could just accommodate people. And that was really good. It, it's more just like people hiding behind their computer screens being like, Rah! no, it's like eating. What do they say? Uh, There's something funny, like eating out of an eggshell or something. And I was like, well, not really. I mean, oyster shells literally just wash up on the beach. We wa- we wash them through our dishwasher, like, like plates. Like they're, they're, I don't know. Anyways, it's, uh. I don't know. I, I stand on just like, let's just give people a really cool and unique experience. And if they want to talk about it, then I'll actually, that's probably great. <laughs> I'm like literally like dying right now. I think this is hilarious. I, I think it's lots of ingenuity. I like that. I also like that you could accommodate it. And that's, I mean, that's it. That's, that's awesome. Okay. We'll move on from, from oyster gate, but I thought that was hilarious. Oyster gate. Totally. <laughs> All right, my next question is, how should vegetables be introduced to a child's diet? And where do you think we've gone wrong with that? So I, this is interesting because I have two kids um, under four. And I'm also not a nutritionist. We have raised both our kids ve- uh, vegetarian. And so feeding the vegetables has not been a problem. But I don't know if that's just because it's what we put in front of them from day one. You know, like the with the first kid, with my first daughter, I was making my own baby food and like fully like, you know, blending like kale and yam and just like going over the top to make like a lifetime supply of baby food for her, which eventually she grew out of and then we had to sort of give away. Uh, with the second, I guess you just get a little less intense about it or you're, you know, you're also, I'm totally drowning. So I just put whatever I can in front of her. And, um, I, I think kids probably, gosh, this is a complicated one. Cause I think kids do what they see their parents doing. So if your parents aren't into vegetables, then maybe you're less likely to be enthusiastic about serving the vegetables to your kids. And then your kids are probably less enthusiastic about eating those vegetables. And my mom was a fantastic cook, like unbelievable. And when I went vegetarian, she would make me all my meal. Like she was super accommodating, but we went shopping at like the giant grocery store. And it wasn't until I was like in summer camp and they had a garden there and I like pulled my first green onion from the ground and like ate it off, you know, right from the earth that I was like, oh, this is this is food. Like there are so many great programs to like teach children that there's one in Vancouver called growing chefs and they like bring our, we vol- our team volunteered to do it. They like go into classrooms. They teach kids about how to like grow food. They build like little windowsill gardens and then they like make and prepare salads with the things that they grow. And I think that that is so incredible because I didn't have that experience. And like, we try to talk about vegetables a lot with our daughters just 
you know, we just show her that. And I try to get her to help me cook sometimes. Now she's fine. I mean, she's three and a half. So like we're, we're easing into it. Her attention span is finally a little bit good. And like, she's there that she can maybe help with some tasks now for cooking. But like, I don't, I don't know how to get kids to eat more vegetables. I just think like showing them as much as introducing them to it as much as possible. There's some, uh, I, I did some research with a friend who just launched a baby food line this year. We were, um, developing it and she had read that it takes a baby eight times, eight tries of one thing before they might like it. So parents tend to put one thing in front of their kid and they don't like it and you go, okay, I'll just put something else in front of you and that's it. But like eight tries, I mean, that's a lot of perseverance. So all right, so you mentioned something earlier, and we'll get into it if you want to. It's it's your call. Uh, you mentioned that you're drowning, and like you have two restaurants. You just you're taking pre-orders for your cookbook. You have a family, you know, two young children. What can you share with us about how do you manage that and take care of yourself at the same time? Yeah, I don't think I would be a good person to ask about this at this point. I don't think I'm doing a very good job taking care of myself. I'm trying. Now that our youngest is a year old. I'm finally like, you know, going and I mean, with COVID being in another factor in there, like yeah. there's everything that I would have previously done, like yoga classes or something, group activities to kind of like something for me to be accountable to so that I could go out there. But um, I'm finally now, now that she's one, able to do some of those things. So, and you know, with restrictions lifted, like I've been doing a ceramics class one day a week and I'm practicing with my band right now too. So I'm trying to do a few of those things now where I can just like fill my soul a little bit. So I don't feel like I'm just drowning under just all of it because you have to have something to kind of like try to swim up for, you know, and I I love everything I'm doing, but like a lot of it is, I find a little in business sometimes or with what I'm doing, like I end up giving all the things I loved about the idea of opening a restaurant one and then doing it again. Um, you know, having people hosting people being around all the people talking about food, eating food, you know, drinking great wine and like cocktails, you end up sort of not doing, you end up sort of like, giving all of more of those experiences away to the staff. So the staff are on the floor and with having two kids, I haven't been able to work on the floor anymore. And, um, I end up finding myself just behind the computer doing all the stuff that I don't want to do, but I'm doing it because I've given, you know, like in order to have it all running and giving a lot of those other things up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, how running a restaurant looks today to me from how it looked 10 years ago is completely different. And the drowning part, I think, is really just about having the two kids under four and, and COVID. Yeah. Well, and and you are managing it, not just managing yes. it. You're also, like, pushing other projects over the line. So I, I did want to ask about that. Like, pandemic, you know, fam- young family, um, having the restaurants, having the cookbook, like, trying to take care of yourself, but you're doing it. And I guess the thing that I'd ask you is like, how do you keep yourself going? <laughs> That's a good question. I have no idea. I think I have like this innate drive just to keep pushing things forward. I still want to open another restaurant. I still, you know, I'm working on a wholesale packaged food line right now. So there's just other things. I don't know. I guess it's just part of continuing to try and leap and grow and push forward and all sides. But that's that one is, I don't know. 
but what's the payoff for you? So like the, the act of like creating and driving and pushing yourself and like bringing ideas into fruition, there's something there that you keep going back to that well and doing it, no matter how tough it gets. Like, I mean, like global pandemic, you're still out there doing that. Is that just something that's innate for you? Or is it something that you're pursuing because it's like something like something that you are striving for? Like, is it something like you'd have to do it no matter what? Or is it something you're choosing to do? Yeah, I, I actually think that there's, um, I'm kind of obsessed with the with creating and the creative process, and I think that that's the part I seem to be like latching onto over and over again. It's like it's a it's a dials straight back to being in music and be playing in bands. I mean, you're just creating and creating, and I think that that it, that part I can't run away from. Granted, I could just you know play in a play at home on my piano and I'd probably be doing it all the same without all this extra sort of stress but I, I don't know there's something about building up a project letting it seeing it sort of like manifest seeing it operate working on sort of making it better I don't know there's this I don't know what the end goal is I mean it sure I'd love to make a ton of money with it so that I don't have to worry about how I'm going to put my kids through university but like really don't open a restaurant if you want that. So, (laughs) (laughs) like if if I could speak to this, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't choose to create. It's just what I do. It's just who I am. And, um, you know, I'm like constantly like working on something, whether it's a song or it's something for my business or it literally could be anything. There's not a time of the day where my mind's not going around something and it doesn't mean it's always active like I'm totally thinking about it but there's always something in the background that my mind is orbiting around and figuring out and processing and moving forward for some people that's just innate and for some people it's it's an active choice that they're doing that but it's a type it's a it's a type of pursuit that's about creativity yeah and then it's 100% innate I mean I'm not like what can I create or you know I need to create something it's like oh my gosh I let's it's addictive (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a sucker for punishment, but honestly, don't open a restaurant. Well, it's funny you're saying that, that Monica and I were planning on opening a restaurant immediately. Imminent. No, we're not. Yeah. And you know why? Cause we've talked about this a number of times. I couldn't handle getting a review, like a Yelp review. I'd oh. be like, or not Yelp or whatever it is. Well, Google yes, reviews. Yelp. Gosh, I, Yelpers. <laughs> I don't get me like, started. I would seriously lose my mind. I'd be like, how do we find this person? We got to deal with this person in the streets. Like I'm so angry at this person right now, which I think leads us perfectly to, to our next question. Um, yeah. What's your view on hiring for the acorn, um, hiring people who aren't vegan or vegetarian? What's your philosophy on that? Right. So I, in the restaurant, I am most excited when we serve omnivores because for me, like, we're attracting vegetarians and vegans. They are already looking, they seek us out. They will find us. But if I can have an omnivore come in, sit down, eat, enjoy their experience, think about vegetables in a different way, that's that's fantastic. Like that's really, the, you know, that's my ultimate like challenge. So it's the same with our team. Like I want to welcome omnivores onto our team as much as anybody else. In fact, Everybody is unique. So we have omnivores who like are celiac or like lactose intolerant. So, you know, they, they, there's other things going on, but like really it's about people who are just open and passionate about learning about really cool food. That's the kind of person that we want. Um, 
sometimes we've had vegan staff work on the team who like won't recommend non-vegan items. And I think that that can be sometimes, you know, if they're not reading their customers right, that could be a bit of an issue. Everybody has a great experience, hopefully, that in the end, and that's, you know, on them. But I think at the end of the day, you want people who are just going to be passionate about the whole menu or, you know, everyone has their own personal favorites. But I think that like, I, I do ask our staff if they're vegan or like vegan or vegetarian when, when I'm interviewing them, but it's definitely not a prerequisite. Uh, I love, 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 love that. So something I want to ask you about, uh, and this is something I, I struggle with as well, you know, like you're a small business owner, you hire people and sometimes the people who are on the bus when you start, they're not still on the bus with you now. And it's like so much of what we do is like based on our relationships and our personal relationships and like, you know, hiring friends, hiring, you know, that person that maybe, you know, through a friend of a friend and sometimes relationships just don't work out business wise. And even us as business leaders, like if we don't have bad blood, sometimes we have to like part ways with people. It's ill and there's bad blood. So how do you manage that as, as a business leader? Cause like I can say on my end, it's like, it weighs on me really hard, but it's also, I need to make the, the decisions that are right for my business. Yeah. I have generally tried not to hire friends overall oh. because I value my friendships and I value my business. And sometimes I know that those two things can come in conflict if you're if they overlap, um, I mean, as a rule, I just, I try to avoid it altogether because I know that the choices that I have to make for the sake of my business might not be the best choices for a friendship. Yeah, that's wise. Uh, we were talking with RJ from Timeless Coffee in Oakland, uh, all vegan coffee shop, a series of coffee shops. And I'm very much like my business is like he hires tons of friends and we were talking about like that difficulty of like, Whew, you know, like what's more important here, the friendship or the business. And of course it's going to be the business, but it doesn't mean the friendship's not important. It's just a different thing. So I'll hire a friend in a heartbeat, but every time I hire a friend in a heartbeat, I'm also recognizing that like I'll hire a friend in a heartbeat, but we might have to part ways. And if that means on your end, our friendship is over, you're, you, you got to live with that because that's your choice to make. Um, when you start a business, it's, it's tough. I love hiring friends. I love hiring people from the punk scene, but you know, it's a 50, 50 proposition, whether or not it works out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started Acorn with a friend and it didn't work out, but you know, we're, we got to a point where we're both, well, I'm here because of that decision and, and I'm, you know, don't look back, but it's sad when things don't, you know, you go in all bushy tailed and bright eyed and like, so young and naive and hopeful and then you're like oh my gosh right okay we have different ideas about how things are supposed to go so yeah. this isn't gonna work and that's well, just the way it is it's it's also the story of starting bands right like you know oh like band gosh. beef and and all that like you know we could go on and on about this but <sighs> there's a lot of bands yeah similarities between well everything i do and punk rock <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and we're going to hit on that just as we're getting to the end. But before we go too much further, tell us about the uh, cookbook that you've got coming out. So I actually, I liken it a little bit to a band getting signed to a major label because um, it's being put out by Appetite Random House. So it's got like, you know, major distribution and the wonderful ability of the editors and uh, designers. And so you just sort of get all of their resources. And uh, the book itself uh, is 
was written organically over the span of a year. I mean, the restaurant is so seasonal, so we had to sort of write it the way that our menu had evolved throughout the year. We worked with this incredible photographer, Gabrielle Cabrera, who was very patient and would come and shoot, you know, like in these seasonal uh periods and I think it's a photo book as much as it is a recipe book I mean the goal was to have every page be visual um I'm not a huge I I have a lot of cookbooks and a lot of them I just like to look at so I think that this cookbook is going to serve in so many different ways if you are like you know a professional at home cook then you can cook a recipe from start to finish and it might take you quite some time because there could be a fermented item or ingredient and there could be a vinegar that, you know, you have vinegar takes like three weeks to a month or, you know, to, to create. So you got to really like plan ahead or you could pick one recipe that you're just like, holy F, this is awesome. I'm going to make this, you know, uh, sauce and put it on everything. And I'm just going to, that will be my go-to or I really like the way that the Brussels sprouts are cooked here. So we're going to just do that. Like, so, you know, to, from the novice cook to pick like one thing out of it, you could probably get something out of it. And then from like, you know, the master cook, go for it, go full acorn at home <laughs> or just put it on your coffee table and like, look at it. Cause it's really beautiful. And when's it coming out? November 9th. Uh, and Whoa. it's available everywhere. Books are sold, which is pretty cool. I feel pretty, um, just so grateful for this journey. Also restaurants, when they go, you just have the memory of them forever. You know, you'll just talk about it with your friends. Like, remember that place we went to? That was great. But like, there's nothing to kind of like cement it in place. And so having a book is just, I, I like that there's something that will, you know, outlive this restaurant. Although I hope this restaurant lives forever, really. But, <laughs> you know, at some point, the book yeah. might live a little longer. <laughs> I love that. You also piqued my interest when you said Brussels sprouts. Yeah, season's coming up. It's pretty exciting. We're we're big fans. Okay, Monica, do you have any other questions on your end? I just want to say that that the book is a great accomplishment. I can't wait to get it. Uh, I can't wait for you to have it. I'm so excited. Okay, so I got three rapid fire questions for you as we're closing off. One of them is going to be really, really, really hard, but the other two are going to be relatively simple, I think. (laughs) Shit, okay. Okay, so you come from the punk scene, right? Like you grew up in the punk scene and a lot of what you're doing seems to be patterned off of that, which makes total sense to me coming from a somewhat of a a similar pathway. For someone who is not of the punk scene, who doesn't necessarily have that risk taker DIY mindset, what's a piece of advice that you could give them for saying like, hey, if you really want to do something and you want to take that leap, this is is what I would suggest for you. Well, I think... Do your research. I mean, know as much as you can about what it is you want to do. I think that's really important. And have an exit plan because you don't want to get in, do it, and then not really know how to how to end it if it's not working. But mm. I think knowing the most you can about what it is you want to do is the best way to at least determine whether you're cut out for it or not. Second question, you know, you said something early on that like, really stood out to me and I know is to be true about you. Um, you, you grew up in the punk scene with like a lot of strong ethical, um, 
a lot of strong ethics put forward, especially at the time where you were, we were coming up in punk in like the nineties where it was like, PC, PC, everything was PC. We ate, our scene ate itself up. It was horrible, but I mean, we were there, we're in it. (laughs) Everybody calmed down a little bit, but okay, we were in it, right? They said, what? It was like the, they called you a what? Oh my goodness. Oh no, everything. But... You also like live that stuff, like the most reasonable version of that. The restaurant industry does have kind of a notorious sexist legacy. So in building a business, like I I know this is not easy, but how have you created a business that really lines up with your ethics, especially about around how people are treated and how they treat each other within a business? Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, I can stand up front and say, here's exactly how I want this to be. And then I also have 49 staff people that are, you know, going to have different ideas. And I, I want everyone to be who they are. Um, you know, we've done our best to write policy around what's acceptable and not. We try to have an open door policy with like talking to people when they have problems. Um, we interpersonal ish problems with staff. I mean, that's inevitable. We are a small team too. I mean, that 49 people are between two restaurants. So running our business with integrity and doing my best to treat everybody with respect and hoping that like that leadership sort of skill gets trickled from top down and, um, is, you know, you just got to do your best. It's always like, you're always going to be working on it with everybody, but I think most of the choices I make are with the right sort of punk rock values in mind. Not the ones where they like eat each other up and like dissolve each other, you know, like it's like a (laughs) cannibalism or something. But like, I think hopefully they're the choices that are long term sustainable. And, you know, I'm noticing a shift. I know this is a rapid fire question. I'm answering it very long, long form, but take your, take your time. um, I've noticed in the time that the acorn has existed, that every generation of cook that comes through every server, like everybody, the shift is happening. It's slow, but like the way that people treat each other is changing. The communicating that's happening is changing. And I think that it's actually just, it's a slow moving, you know, (laughs) ship that is like starting to write itself and people are learning, you know, from the wrongs that have happened, let's say from what they learned in, previous jobs were not that kind of place and everybody's working towards making it better as good as good as it can be heck yeah awesome all right last question it's the hardest question you're going to be asked today and i'm not going to hold it to you there's like i'm not going to hold you to it your answer could change five minutes from now five days from now five months from now what are your current three of your current favorite punk or hardcore bands or heavy bands that you love Okay, current. I don't listen to a lot of hardcore lately because with the kids around, I would try, but they're not picking it up as much. So sometimes it will show up on my playlist and I will listen to uh, Neurosis and Botch for the Memories and Isis. Isis is always, they always hit the the heartstrings with me nice and heavy. Now those are like I mean those are three timeless picks. I gotta say, like, botch is the one that like if there was like a botch reunion, 
I think Oof. the world would explode. I would go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Shira, thank you so much for your time. Uh, everybody, please check out uh, Acorn and The Arbor, which are two of easily Vancouver's best restaurants and also just like great restaurants ran by uh, very, very cool people. And of course, check out your upcoming cookbook coming out on November 9th, Vegetables Reimagined. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. You bet. Everyone will see you in the outro. And Spencer, drop the beat. Shira, that was so awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everything we talked about like really got me thinking, you know, like the difference between people who do and don't do, the people who, the difference between the people who take a leap and the people who kind of like just sit on the sidelines and point out like where you didn't do your best. It's such an interesting dynamic. And of course it plays out. It's been playing out forever and it will play out forever. It's not going to change. But like, I have such deep admiration or respect for the people who take the leap. And I do understand like the, the people on the sidelines criticizing, like, damn, like I've been that person and probably still am that person to some degree. But like when people go out and do it and really put themselves out there and are willing to be vulnerable to pursue a dream, it's just so, I don't know, there's something about it, especially if they're doing something that's like really got such strong ethics. So Shira, thanks again for sharing your, your message and for everyone here, like, if you're out there and you're really thinking like, I want to do something different. I want to try it. I want to go for it. Podcast to podcast, you're going to hear people give you different takes. You know, one person's going to say like, don't do any research. Another person's going to say, do your research. One person's going to say, have no exit strategy. Someone else is going to say, have an exit strategy. All of those things aside, the biggest thing you can do is do it. And, you know, don't wait for permission. If you see an opening and you see that thing where you're like, you know what? I'm going to do the thing then do it and own it. And as you own it, know there's going to be the tough spots where people are going to say the things that are going to hurt and they're going to feel personal. But know on the flip side, you got to become your own North Star. And she was such a beautiful example of that. Like be your own North Star, follow your own dream. And really at the end of the day, you got to invest in your own dreams. So with that, everyone, I hope you're taking the time to learn from um, this incredible story and also that you're getting ready to make the leap. So before we sign off, I want to remind you all we're produced and edited by the great Spencer Priest. We're recorded by the fantastic Patrick McKechnie and our design is done by the wonderful, insightful, creative Tammy Levy. I am your host, Aram Arslanian, and this has been One Step Beyond. One Step! One Step Should I do that again, that, that outro? No, I don't think you should. <laughs> okay.